0: Hey guys, it's Ellie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 139 called Nicole Chang. Today's episode is brought to you by Belly, prenatal vitamins that help get your body the healthiest it can be to welcome a new little life. Belly's vitamins are formulated to optimize fertility and prenatal health for men and women through all stages of pregnancy, from conception through to post-pregnancy. Belly's revolutionary science-based formulation fuels your fertility to help support egg quality, promote hormonal balance, and increase your overall fertility health. Belly for men prenatals are specially formulated with clinically proven nutrients optimized to help increase sperm count, help improve sperm morphology and motility, and boost overall fertility. To get started with belly, go to bellybaby.com and use code Allie15 for 15% off your first month of either belly women or belly men. Again, it's bellybaby, dot com, and use code ally 15 A-L-I-15 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, guys. So welcome back. Our guest today, Nicole Chang, is still in the midst of her infertility journey. So she wanted to share with you guys what's been going on with her because she wanted to make anybody going through this feel less alone which as you know, I am a big fan of doing as well. So today she's going to tell us what she's been through so far, the puzzle of infertility, as she calls it, finding out she had stage three endometriosis, a chemical pregnancy that she had, two unsuccessful transfers when she finally did do IVF, an IUI also that didn't work before that, and then taking a break and kind of where she's at right now. So at one point she... Says she asked herself, Am I ever going to get pregnant? And I know that so many of you can relate to that. So without further ado, this is Nicole's infertility story. Hey, Nicole, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you so much for doing this today. I can't wait to hear all about your story. Let's just start at the beginning. Tell me about when you started to think about having kids, where were you like mentally and did you always want to be a mom?
1: Yeah, I have always wanted to be a mom. I came from a huge family and growing up, I was always surrounded by tons of cousins and kids. And I think I always just knew that I wanted to have kids of my own. And I really didn't think about it specifically, I would say, until I met my now husband. And when I met him, he already had a daughter who was seven at the time. And when I saw how he was with his daughter, I was just like, this is the person that I Mm -hmm. want to have a family with. And he's Mm -hmm. a great father. And we fell in love. And by the time, I think we've been together now three years. And I would say in the last two years, I mean, year two of our relationship, I knew I wanted to have kids for sure with him. And he wanted to as well. He wanted a big family. He also grew up in a a big uh, family as well and had ton of cousins and siblings. And so we shared that value. And both of us were like, okay, we're ready to have kids tomorrow. Like, Mm -hmm. Let's just go do this.
0: (laughs) There's nothing better than seeing a guy with his, you know, being a dad. I feel like that's so attractive and just like wonderful. It
1: is. It um, so is. And it's like give me a little reassurance too. Like, okay, he's, he's done this and so he yeah. can teach me. Yeah. Okay.
0: So what happened when you guys started to try?
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, when I grew up uh, growing up, my mom always was kind of the person that I would go to for advice about when I have children, you know, what should I do? And she had three children as well. And she's like, you know, when I got off birth control, I got pregnant right away mm-hmm. each time. And so I thought, for me, that would be the same exact thing. All my friends were having babies at the time. And I think I was 33 when I first officially got off birth control. And I went to the doctor and they're like, yep, if you want it, I went to my OBGYN. They're like, yeah, just get off birth control and try. And that's it. So <laughs> I was like, okay, don't really know what that exactly means, but I kind of think I know what it means. And, you know, that's, we started trying right away after I got off birth control. It was a couple yeah. years ago now at this point. So
0: you went off birth control. And then did you guys started trying right away? And I'm guessing it didn't go as planned.
1: It did not. And I am one of those type A people where if something doesn't happen right away, I need to figure out a solution. Mm -hmm. And I got off birth control and I think we tried for a good like couple months and I didn't do any, like it was, I checked the pregnancy test. Like I kind of knew that part of like, Hey, you wait, you know, your cycle. And if you don't get your period, you check, but I was getting my period pretty much like clockwork every month and my periods are always super regular so i knew like if i was a day late like it's you know it's worth trying but i never even got to that point so at month 5 i think i went to um a clinic like a fertility clinic and just said hey like i want to just know what tests i should do mm-hmm. and is there anything i can even test for to see like what my fertility even looks like and i remember getting my amh tested and I think they checked a couple of different hormone levels and they, my AMH was, a dec- I think for me at that point, it was like over a one. So it was like 1.14, something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're
1: like, yeah, your AMH is fine. Like your all the other hormone levels look great. Um, little did I know, like they didn't check FSH at the time, which was something that I'll probably get to later. But mm-hmm. they basically said, yeah, you're good. Like just keep trying. And if okay. you don't, nothing happens in the next couple of months, then you can come back. But we think everything's good.
0: Okay. So and five so, months yeah, into it, are you, you're feeling, are you feeling frustrated and like, how is it going with your husband?
1: Yeah. I think at that point I was a little nervous. I knew that from, I thought after month one, I would get pregnant, but that was very naive. I think of me to think mm-hmm. that way. and like a lot of people and, think that because that's what we've been trained. And
0: like you yeah. said, that's what your mom told you,
1: you yeah, know, because that was her too, experience. Like, you think you're going to get pregnant if you're just not on birth control. So you just say, hey, if the guy looks at you, you're going to get pregnant. Totally. So I'm like, oh, okay. But um, I ended up just keep, I kept trying in month, I think, I want to say like month eight. I was like, okay, this is still like, this doesn't, something doesn't feel right. I don't know what about it. It just didn't feel right. And I ended up going to see a reproductive endocrinologist just to see if there were more, there were more pieces of information that I was missing.
0: Yeah. And that wasn't
1: telling. Yeah. I was like, I have to know something something feels up. I don't know what it was, but something felt off.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of us women, you know, you can kind of tell when something's going on with your body, you have that gut feeling. I just knew something was up.
1: I didn't know what, but I just had a feeling like I needed to do more instead of just keep waiting.
0: Yeah. So so what happened? What did they say?
1: Yeah. So I ended up going to a reproductive endocrinologist and she suggested that I do day three testing and some more blood works, just more in-depth testing than the previous clinic had done. And she did test day three FSH, which Mm -hmm. for me was so new. I didn't even know what FSH was. And so for me, that came back pretty elevated Mm -hmm. for my age or where I was at. Usually it's supposed to be pretty low. And mine was like, a 13 at that point, which for her, it was like just elevated. So it wasn't like a no-go. Like that's just an indicator. She said that my eggs might be compromised in terms of quality or that there's something going on where, yeah, potentially my egg quality wasn't as good as it could be um, Mm -hmm. for my age at that point.
0: Right. So how did it feel to hear that diagnosis? And like, what did you think?
1: I felt scared and I didn't even know that that was a thing. And like, was there something I did wrong? Like, have Mm -hmm. I been just trashing my body? And now this is what I'm getting in return. And I've been just not, you know, doing, I just felt like it was my body. And my husband got his sperm checked out and all that was great. And Mm -hmm. he's older than two by six years. And so I was like, what is happening? Like, I thought that by getting off birth control now in my 30s, I thought that it would be okay. But now when she was telling me like, Hey, if we did, I, I recommend you just go straight to IVF. Okay. If this, yeah. So I'll yeah, so we'll probably get to that later, but
0: <laughs> did you have any friends who were going through IVF or anybody that you knew closely that
1: had gone through it? Zero, no family yeah. members, no friends. And also I didn't really want to tell anybody. It felt weird to talk about that mm-hmm. because nobody else had mentioned it to me. And so I didn't really want to share that with anyone at first, I felt kind of embarrassing, I think, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And like, I did something wrong. And yeah, I just told my husband, like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I don't even know what this means. Like, right. can we get pregnant? Actually, probably, but is it going to be harder? Sounds like it. Do we want to wait around? All these just questions that I didn't even know I needed to ask.
0: Totally. Did it's so funny how one day you can just go from thinking your life is going to go one way and then you're thrust into <laughs> this totally different situation. And you're like, what the yeah. hell? Like what happened? Um, right. And I think it it's was- so common that you thought that something, you know, you felt kind of broken or you felt like something, you did something wrong. And I think so many of us feel that way. Of course, that's what I thought too. Like, Oh my God, I shouldn't have drank so much in college or, you know, I shouldn't <laughs> have done X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it turns out that of course, you know, lifestyle has, something to do with your health and fertility but most of the time it's it's something bigger than that obviously yeah Um, yeah okay so you are like 34 at this point yes okay and your husband you said was older so did you feel like the clock was ticking like there's that you know 35 is like the age where you really start to plummet
1: no yeah no I totally agree I, I felt that that cliff was approaching and every time I would talk to different people and my family too. Like a lot of the women had children in their twenties and my mom was done having all three children, three of her children by 34. Wow. So I was like, Oh man, like I'm really behind, I guess <laughs> like mm-hmm. this party. But I think for me, I definitely felt the clock ticking pretty loudly, especially after that FSH um, discovery. So I just felt rushed because I don't, I wanted to have more than one child too so I didn't really put all the puzzle pieces together because you have to have a certain amount of time, too, before each child. I also naively didn't know that. I didn't know that you're supposed to wait this period of time. It makes sense now that I think about it. But I don't know. I just I feel like I didn't know anything. Right. And I didn't like do between it cycles, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely. It's just okay. waiting. There's a lot of waiting involved.
0: <laughs> so much waiting, so much out of your control. So were you guys like, OK, let's do IVF? Or was there discussion to be had before you went down that road?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I wasn't ready to do IVF at that point, but I wanted to do something a little more proactive versus just trying naturally. So we opted to do an IUI for our first kind of assisted reproductive, I guess, choice. Mm -hmm. And after that, if well, we decided that if that didn't work, we would go straight to IVF. Mm -hmm. And that the the IUI definitely didn't work. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) I was a little bummed. Yeah. That's okay. I know there was a super low chance too, so I knew like I went in going to I did research and talked to my doctor and she's like, "Yeah, that's you know, there's like a pretty it's a it's a chance, but it's not as high as IVF."
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: in my mind I was like, "Okay, let me baby step it in and I'll go to IVF after." So IVF was the next path when the IUI didn't work. It's like, "Let's go get all the eggs out and see what happens." Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wasn't going to get a ton of eggs just based on the FSH conversation I had with my doctor that it's possible that my eggs wouldn't respond and that I'd get not that many out. Mm-hmm. So I was I was like the time is of the essence. I'll just let's just do this now. Like I'd rather just not wait.
0: Right. Okay. So so did you just start right away?
1: Yeah. So right after the IUI, the I got the big fat negative, I decided to go into IVF right away and do my first egg retrieval and I did a lot of research on my own and also listening to a lot of podcasts, of course, Mm -hmm. and learning about what IVF was like. And I ended up doing, let's see, my first cycle in December. Um, So I was still, did I turn? I think I might have turned 35 at this point.
0: Um, December 2020? Yes. Got it.
1: So 2019, no, 2020. I'm losing track of time. 2020.
0: I know. know. It's like, what year is it? (laughs)
1: I was like, it was definitely during the pandemic. So yeah, it was 2020. Okay. Yeah. So making uh, it a shitty year, even shittier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was uh, not so so great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the IVF cycle was, for for all intents and purposes, like I think it went well. Like I responded decently to the medication. I was able to get, I think, four eggs, four mature eggs out. And at the end of that cycle, Uh, my doctor called me, I think it was day five, um, that we had four blastocysts that made it to day five. Mm -hmm. Um, But three were of the better quality to be frozen. And the fourth one just wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. So they were only going to freeze and test, um, do genetic testing on three embryos. And I was super happy about that because I had known from blogs and these different um, podcasts and just learning about infertility and mm-hmm. folks that have gone through it, that there's a lot of attrition that happens along the way mm-hmm. and different things can happen and human biology and all that good stuff. And I was so happy to even get three to test. Yeah. And yeah, to. that's good. Yeah. So that was exciting news. And that came around Christmas time too. So it's a very weird time to do an egg retrieval, mm-hmm. but like, I don't think there's any good time to do this type of stuff. It's just always going to be stressful. It's always going to be a lot of waiting.
0: Completely. So were you, were you telling people at this point or was it still pretty secret on your part?
1: Yeah. By this point I was starting to tell people, um, close friends only and family members. So my parents knew they were pretty supportive. They didn't quite understand though, why I was doing IVF. They didn't understand. They don't, I don't even think they knew what different hormones were. Cause for them, it's like, go to birth control and have kids. Like it wasn't like, they didn't know any of the terminology or any of the technology or any of that. And so it was just hard to explain it to them. It's just like, they kind of knew maybe people in their lives that might've gone through it, but they didn't know it really in depth. So mm-hmm. they just knew I was going through like some, a procedure to get my eggs out basically and, and make an embryo with, with my husband's sperm.
0: Right. Okay. So what happened next?
1: So after the retrieval, um, and then after we found out we had three embryos to test, we waited for the results and got back the results of our embryo testing and found out that all three were normal. Which, again, I was so shocked that I started with four eggs Mm -hmm. and got three normal embryos, which I was just over the moon because I didn't even know if those three would turn into any viable embryos for transfer. Right. So I was excited to have three and... My RE was super, super excited as well. And she's like, let's plan the transfer. Let's do a mock transfer first, though, where they test the lining of the uterus to make sure that there's a great home for it and there's nothing going on um, in the uterus. But Mm -hmm. we did, we moved on to a mock cycle afterwards and my RE does a ton of different tests too.
0: Did you have an ERA at that point too?
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the ERA and the receptiva test Mm -hmm. and the ERA um, showed like I was receptive and the receptiva came back, unfortunately, negative or sorry, positive, came back positive for BCL six, like an elevated level. And I basically spoke to my doctor and she mentioned that it was possible. I had silent endometriosis Mm -hmm. and I know what endometriosis is. My aunt had it, Um, Mm -hmm. She passed away a while ago, but I know that she had it from talking to family members. And I didn't know like what that meant for Next Steps. But my RE basically told me you have a couple choices. You can either get surgery to remove the endometriosis and see how bad it's like infiltrated your body. Mm -hmm. There's different stages. So you can do that or you can take there's something called Mm Depo-Lupron and it basically shuts your ovaries down for like puts you into like early menopause but mm-hmm. that way it can kind of quiet, whatever endo- endometriosis is in your body. And hopefully the embryo can stick and they'll kind of re- reduce the inflammation going on. Right. And I didn't want to do the depolupron at that point. I was like, ah, this feels weird to like throw my body in some early menopause. And I have yeah. really bad side effects from people. And I was just like, I I can't like process all this. And so I told her that I would do like the lowest, there was another medication she provided, which was um, Femera, or uh-huh. like Letrozole. And I was familiar with that medication since I took that during my IUI, but I decided to go with the Letrozole route. That was a path of like least resistance I felt in my mind, mm-hmm. like baby stepping again. Like, let me start with a small thing, build my way up if I need to. That makes total and sense. I- and it yeah. sounds
0: like you were so knowledgeable about like what, everything that was going on just from all the research that you had <laughs> done, which is great. Okay.
1: I had to because I was like, I don't. There's all these things she was throwing at me, and she tried her best to explain it, but it never felt like enough information. I always felt like I needed to just learn more. Right. And you know, I Google's always the best and worst place to find things. Yeah. But totally. But I found things, and I always tried to find like lots of different sources that I could on certain things, certain medications. So I knew that Famara was used on folks or women with endometriosis. And it helped with implantation in a lot of cases, so I gave it a shot, mm-hmm. um, and we moved on to the transfer with Letrozole, and then the first transfer didn't take. Oh. So it was, a, yeah, it was rough. I didn't know like how I would feel either way, and it's a lot of emotions after a negative transfer. Totally, oh, real good. Going oh. after, into all of that, making all you know, going through the embryo making and the testing, and then the one, just one thing after another. It's like, okay, like regroup, figure yeah. out a new plan.
0: How did your yeah. husband feel and how is this affecting your relationship? Cause I've always talked very openly about how it was really yeah. hard on our marriage.
1: It was really hard yeah. and we didn't really have the tools to navigate those issues that were coming up. So he told me that he felt like he didn't have any power over the whole process mm-hmm. and that, he just couldn't he couldn't help me and he saw how sad it made me and like every step of the way and the hormones didn't help either so I was like crazy one day sad one day (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's all over the place and it I think made us stronger in the end I feel like we're stronger as a couple now but that whole time just like all the different treatments having to like ask ourselves questions that we probably never would have thought to ask like you know how bad do we want children like What if we wait? Like, what if we aren't able to have children on our own or with Mm -hmm. my eggs? Like, what do we want to adopt? Like, there's so many things we had to navigate. So it was definitely a hard time. Um, And sometimes we disagreed too about what to do next. That was the toughest part. It's like it's my body too, but at the same time, like I know he wants a child just as bad as I do. So he's like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go do it.
0: Right.
1: am like, wait, wait, wait. But I have to be the one that like does this stuff,
0: and it's gonna
1: affect a lot. Like. Let's it's think think so about it
0: complicated and it's so like uneven when it comes to couples, you know, it who's is. going through what?
1: Um, it is. All each, the appointments too.
0: Yeah. They wouldn't exactly come in and
1: I was by myself going to all these appointments. You couldn't be there for anything. So that felt hard Yeah, not have your partner
0: It's a lot to take on. So, okay. Yeah. So one unsuccessful transfer and I'm so sorry. And then, so what did you decide to do another one? Did you take a break? What happened next?
1: Yeah, I decided to do another transfer, but this time I agreed to do the Depo-Lupron and surgery. So just all the things. Okay. So I did a month of Depo-Lupron and then I went into a laparoscopy with the Depo-Lupron still like kind of in my system. Uh-huh. And that way they could go in, take anything out that they found. And then the Depo-Lupron would still be, you know, having calm, supposedly calm inflammation down for the next transfer and the laparoscopy went well. Um, that was my first surgery ever, other than the egg retrieval. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was a little bit harder to recover from. And so, I think for me, I just wanted to do everything I could to give myself the best chance for a posi- like a positive outcome from the transfer. Right. And I was. They found stage three endo when they went in. So mm-hmm. he said it was everywhere, on like in different parts of my uterus, pelvic area. Um, none, he said, on the. Um, tubes. So Mm -hmm. my tubes were open, which I knew from doing research that that was a good thing. Like, you know, I I didn't want endo on my tubes or my ovaries Mm -hmm. if possible, because I didn't want them to take my ovaries out and just not be able to (laughs) do another egg retrieval or do something to affect my egg count. So that was good news. I would say that he he got everything out and the doctor was so funny too because he's like, "Now just go try and have sex and have a baby." And I was like, "Okay." Like, oh
0: God! If only. <laughs> Thanks, doc.
1: you <laughs> have like, been trying to do that. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna be back." And I, you know, I felt really hopeful like that he said that, but yeah. at the same time, like, okay, like I've been trying to do this. Like, we'll see. So I take everything with a grain of salt now with doctors. Like, I'll see what happens. Like, I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like
0: we talk about this infertility rally or group too. Is like. Doctors are human, you know, they don't have all the answers. And like, sometimes we forget that. I, I certainly put my doctor on a pedestal and it's like, he's God, he knows everything. Right. Right. But it's, you know, sometimes they don't know. And this is infertility is such an indirect like science and everybody's so different. I think it's, it's so, it's so complicated and it's hard for them to sometimes know exactly what to do and what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, um after the surgery it went right into the next transfer okay and really quickly so did the transfer with my second normal embryo and did all the things and it ended up negative again and so i was like oh i can't like this is a lot
0: yeah that's hard
1: yeah like i can't like am i gonna ever get pregnant so right that's just, like negative it wasn't even like i like i don't want to like have a positive miscarry i um, that actually happened, um, early on, like I had a chemical pregnancy, like, yeah, before. I was going to ask you about that. So
0: yeah, in your email, you said that you did have a chemical pregnancy. So that was before you started IVF.
1: It was, yeah, it was before I even went to the RE. That's actually what spurred that. Yeah, it was that and not having gotten pregnant, but, and stayed pregnant. It was the chemical because now I'm remembering it was the, actually the month of the pandemic that it happened. that everything shut down. And like, I remember getting pregnant. um, And then like a couple weeks later, like bleeding a lot. Yeah. And my OBGYN was like, I think that sounds like a miscarriage, but we'll test your HCG just to make sure. And then sure enough, like the HCG was so low at that point, by the time I came in for blood work, it was, I didn't even know what a chemical pregnancy was either.
0: I I know I had never heard of it before I had one either.
1: Yeah. I thought I was just going to be pregnant and have my baby, but that did not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, a lot of things just learning along the way about my body, about how human biology works, how pregnancy works. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different things. And so, yeah, so by the time I did my second transfer, that was like three – it felt like three losses in a row. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Even Absolutely. though I never got pregnant that, the t- the two transfers, like I made – an embryo we tested it like I thought my doctor even quoted like it was a 70% implantation rate or something like that and like okay so am I just like doomed am I unlucky each time like am I that one third that's just not getting a positive Mm -hmm. so yeah I just didn't I didn't feel great after that second transfer and I told my doctor that I just needed to take a break Right, like a full just nothing. We have one we have one embryo left, and we still do right now, but she recommended another retrieval to get more eggs before we go into another transfer with just one, okay, so when so, you just
0: so sorry, just backtracking a little bit. So when you decided yeah. to take your break, are you're on the break right now?
1: Oh, yeah, so when was that? okay, so it probably was a good. I want to say, I'm again, I'm losing track of time. Okay. That was in 2021. We did the last transfer, I believe in April. No, May was the last transfer I did. I took a break. I ended up actually getting a new job, mm-hmm. um, which covers fertility. And it covers uh, like an IVF cycle, a full IVF cycle. And that's transfer awesome. Yeah. And meds. And the first time around, it was all out of pocket. So no right. insurance coverage. And when I found that out, I got the new job in August And I decided to do a retrieval um, using that insurance. Great. And so I actually am just coming out of my retrieval cycle. Okay. So I'm waiting. I did the retrieval this past Saturday. Oh, wow. And got a similar amount of eggs. I've got five this time, though. So that's great. One more than last time. (laughs) And we're just waiting now till Friday to see what makes it to day five and six. Wow. Okay. yeah so we're ready to get back on the horse and do this thing again okay
0: so you still have the one embryo on ice right Mm -hmm. and then you have this other retrieval kind of mid or you're in the midst of it so how are you feeling about everything I
1: feel I feel good I feel good that I did the surgery I think if I hadn't gone through this entire process I would have never known I had endometriosis I had no signs symptoms or anything. I mean, now I know after doing research that if you have a relative, a female relative that has endometriosis or had it, you're much more likely to have it. Right. And I just wish that I had known a little bit more about endometriosis. When my aunt was alive, I could have asked her how she found out and what happened. Nobody knows anything. I've told people in the family, they just don't seem to know like anything about it. And I'm, I'm wondering if she kept it kind of secret and close to her heart too. Because she never had children. And we always ask why, you know, why is she loves kids? She loves all her nieces and nephews. And they're like, or most of the family was like, oh, she just she can't have children. So I yeah. don't know. if she Tried and got surgery, it just never happened. I, I don't think she did IVF or went down that route, but I just wonder if that was what she was going through. And there's so many technologies and different solutions now that you can do. So I feel positive that it'll it'll happen for me, I just have to keep going. And I have to hold on to the hope that I'll get a baby at the end of this road. But I'm really just trying to stay positive And, you know, just take each step at a time, like baby steps, like I mentioned earlier, just one week at a time, one month at a time, because if I try and look back, and I, I don't know, I, I think I'll end up feeling really sad, like, I don't want to count all the months or the times that I've done medications and different things like that. I know that can take you down a really dark place of feeling sad for yourself or feeling like, why doesn't anyone else have to go through this that I know? And feeling like alone a little bit doesn't feel great when you think about it too much. So I just want to keep thinking about the positive things and focusing on that.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. I am so appreciative for of each and every one of you. If you have two seconds and you want to go to Apple and rate and review the podcast, it really helps me get noticed out here in the sea of a zillion podcasts. But I do appreciate you guys being so loyal and all of the nice emails and DMs and stuff that I get. So if you are someone that wants to share their story, I'm starting to line up my next season And you can email me at infertilefstories at Gmail and tell me what's going on with you. As you know, I love to try and be as inclusive as possible, as diverse as I can. So if there's something that you're going through that you haven't yet heard on the show, definitely reach out to me. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon.